0: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie, and I'm joined by Aaron Shields, National Field Organizer for Internet Rights from the Center for Media Justice. Today, we'll be discussing why the FCC's plan to repeal net neutrality threatens free speech. Thanks for coming on, Erin.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: We're glad to have you. For starters, could you give us a basic overview of what net neutrality is and why it's being threatened right now?
1: Sure. So. Net neutrality is sort of rooted in the idea that if you pay your internet service provider, um, you should be able to access the full internet. So any content that's legal on the internet, you should be able to have access to. It has three main parts, so no blocking, so your internet service provider or ISP shouldn't be able to edit the content that you're able to see no throttling, so no slowing down your speeds, and no paid prioritization. So companies shouldn't be able to pay to have their content reach you faster than others. And why these are important is because in terms of editing what we can see on the internet, the internet has been a tool that communities of color and traditionally marginalized communities have used in order to sort of circumvent Um, traditional media that doesn't often carry our stories uh, in the ways that we want them told, right? And the internet has been a powerful tool for people who are accessing education, job opportunities, health information, people who are being entrepreneurial, and things like that. So it's really important that uh, large ISPs aren't able to favor their own content over perhaps you know, a small business that's trying to get their message and their content out to to viewers. And so this was really the law of the land. The net was always, quote unquote, neutral. I mean, I don't feel like anything is neutral. Everything is political to me. And then within the last 10 years or so, ISPs started, you know, playing around with editing content. And I think most people are familiar with the idea of net neutrality through possibly Netflix. So we heard a lot about Netflix going back and forth with large ISPs to get their content to viewers faster. And that's where we kind of like got the idea of a faster, a slow lane. Of course, communities of color and marginalized communities generally, and obviously low-income communities could not afford, like Netflix can always afford to, to pay. It's a large company can always afford to pay to get its content to us faster. But this really affects people, everyday people like you or I, who can't pay more to see con- see specific pieces of content, can't pay more to get our content out to a larger audience. And so there was a large protracted fight to get what we now know as net neutrality, which is l- what I said, no blocking no throttling, no paid prioritization through the FCC, which is this body called the Federal Communications Commission, and to have it codified into law, right? And so we won that battle, actually, in 2015. And we got what we refer to, or what you'll you'll hear people refer to as the 2015 Open Internet Rules. And so that makes that puts regulations on ISPs around just what I've been discussing. So the no blocking, no throttling, no paid prioritization. It also applies to mobile, which we know that a lot of low income and communities of color are primarily accessing the internet through their smartphones instead of buying like a traditional internet package, they'll typically access the internet through their phone. And so this was a huge win. This was a huge win for all communities, a a loss really only for ISPs. And that was brought in under Chairman Wheeler, who was uh, chairman during the Obama administration. So, obviously, to your second question, so why is it being threatened now? Uh, well, we have a new president. And so, with a new president, we had a lot of commissioners at the FCC, there's five of them. We had a couple leave and we had a new chairman installed. His name is Ajit Pai. He's a former Verizon lawyer and really has Verizon's interest at heart, honestly. And so his main priority since taking the chairmanship has been to roll back these net neutrality rules. So we saw major pushes when it was first announced. Millions and millions of comments were submitted to the FCC in support of net neutrality. But what we've come to learn is that Chairman Pai doesn't really care what people think (laughs) what like community members think and is moving forward regardless of what comments and feedback that he's heard. I mean, we've seen most recently internet companies come out and consumer groups come out saying, hey, like, keep these rules that we have. And what we're seeing is a complete disregard for what is a traditionally bipartisan issue. So net neutrality is bipartisan, or it was until the Obama administration was traditionally bipartisan. So you'll see people on both sides of the aisle pro quote unquote net neutrality and has something like, you know, nine. 98% of people when polled agree with net neutrality. So it's a, a fairly like decided issue, but he doesn't seem to care. The chairman doesn't seem to care. And so what we're up against is a December 14th vote to repeal all of those protections for consumers. It's really confusing what he's trying to say. So like the FTC will handle consumer complaints, but there's really no proactive protections against ISPs really taking advantage of consumers. But there were a lot of people prior to 2015, it was like a 10-year struggle, honestly, of people doing actions, submitting comments. There was a lot of story collection that happened. Um, So here's how codifying these 2015 rules impacts my community. Here's how it allows me To stay connected to the people that I love that maybe aren't directly into my in my community. I think an example of that that I've heard most recently was in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Puerto Ricans who were living here in the States were primarily using the internet to connect with their loved ones in Puerto Rico. And a lot of that like getting money to people on the ground, people finding their loved ones, was powered by the internet. And having a repeal of those laws would impact the way that people are able to do that. And so prior to 2015, there was a lot of direct action, a lot of storytelling and collection, and really people taking the chairman to task, Chairman Wheeler to task and saying, hey, we need to have some movement on this. That's a little bit of what. Uh, We're seeing now rise up again. I think this issue has become a lot more sexy to people because we've actually gotten some rules. I mean, there are people that have been fighting on this ground for, you know, 20 years, 30 years. But I think it really bubbles up to the attention of the general public when we see headlines talking about the repeal of net neutrality. I am excited to see a lot of people more interested in taking action around this issue. What people can do now is call their congressional members and demand a stop to the vote. There are a lot of like sketchy things that are go- that have gone on with this FCC administration, things like fake comments, comments from people who are dead or comments from people who did not submit comments, quote unquote in support of the repeal. You know, there's a lot of the FCC is trying to also preempt local cities and, and states, localities, from passing their own net neutrality laws. And that type of stuff is actually already being litigated. And so a lot of congressional members are actually asking and consumer groups are actually asking For the FCC to wait until that is decided by the courts to then rework on this issue of net neutrality if he wants to at least wait until this is decided in courts. And so what we're really asking people to do is to get in touch with their congressional members and really pressure them to make public statements in support of net neutrality and against this repeal. Even so far as asking your congressional member to call for a halt of the vote and to really Ask them to examine the process that this repeal has gone through. So receiving millions and millions of comments, understanding how many are pro net neutrality, and then really giving some basis as to why if there are so many pro net neutrality comments, you're still moving forward with this repeal.
0: As you said, the FCC can also just not give a shit about what people say, which is a pretty huge problem. Even if this is stopped now, is there anything stopping them from doing it again whenever the next FCC chairman is confirmed?
1: Yeah, so, so, the, the shitty thing about the FCC is that we don't elect the commissioners. So they're less beholden, unlike, say, a congressional member, to what you or I might think. They're appointed, they're nominated by the president, and then confirmed through the Senate. So when I'm asking people to reach out to their congressional members and to put pressure on them, it's because we have way more control over a congressional member. I think that's really something, as we move into the midterms, that we can hold congressional members accountable to. So we can say, when a a congressional member is stumping, and asking for people's votes, well, how did you, did you provide any public statements around net neutrality? What was your opinion on the 2015 internet rules? Were you out front when Chairman Pai was trying to destroy our digital civil rights? I mean, we, we frame net neutrality as a digital civil right. Have
0: we experienced before any censoring of marginalized voices, either here or in countries that do not have net neutrality?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, Representative Ro Khanna has been out front really talking about how in places where ISPs can't lie, so not the public or not in press releases. They've indicated interest in having editorial control over what people see. So we're talking about in court proceedings, why they want net neutrality repealed or why they're interested in in these sorts of things. And what we'll likely see and what is a a real possibility is something similar, and this is often how I explain net neutrality, something similar to the way that people pick cable packages right so you're able to see particular pieces of the internet you might have a social media package and an internet package or an email package but you're blocked from seeing the rest of the internet and we've seen that in other places around around the globe that don't have net neutrality protections that we have it really puts a chill on dissent and i think it's important to place this in a larger strategy to chill dissent, and to make it more difficult going into midterms and future elections for information to be shared about candidates that they don't want you to maybe know. It's also been incredibly important in getting these large hashtag movements out to the masses. I mean, most movements aren't covered until, like, they're, they're covered by citizen journalists like who are on the ground tweeting, taking pictures and whatnot. I'm thinking about Black Lives Matter, I'm thinking about No DAPL, I'm thinking about ADAPT being up on Congress, being up on Capitol Hill, doing direct actions to save Medicare and Medicaid. And so it's just so critical that we not allow ISPs to be able to choose what content we're able to see and not see. And to situate this fight, not in competition to all these other movements, but as really something that is foundational to a lot of these movements is is the way I like to frame it for people.
0: It's really important what you've brought up about organizing, but another big part in my mind is community. And, you know, for example, how LGBTQ youth are able to find a community online. Absolutely. Could you tell us a little more about how net neutrality has helped build communities online, specifically for marginalized bodies?
1: Absolutely. And I think it's so important to bring this up in in terms of queer spaces and spaces for disabled people to gather. Net neutrality and its ability to create a free and open internet, an internet that anybody can access has been critical in Keeping traditionally, and I hate, I almost hate saying marginalized because it's usually that these communities are targeted, right? A lot of the framing is like, you know, vulnerable communities are marginalized communities when actually our communities are incredibly resilient and beautiful and powerful. It's just that we are, you know, hyper-targeted in devastating policy. What the net has done has made it so that queer young people or young black people or young disabled people, young undocumented people are able to find spaces on the internet and really create communities with one another across borders. So across lines, all you need is a phone or a computer or you a know, library card access. And you're able to connect with people across the country and really share in different experiences. I mean, that was really my like first entry into the internet. I had moved away when I was young from my community to a place where I was the only black person. And I really was able to connect with family and friends across the country through the internet and really like build community in that way. And the same for, you know, now when I was, I work with Center for Media Justice, but I'm also an organizer with Black Youth Project 100, which is a group of young black people who are fighting for black liberation through a black queer feminist lens. And I was really introduced to the struggle, queer liberation, black liberation, its intersection through the internet and was able to find community with other people across the country who were fighting for similar things after being, you know, agitated and motivated to action by the non-indictment of George Zimmerman. The internet as a a space for people to express themselves, to um, meet other people like them or not like them and have conversations and build community is something that's near and dear to my heart. Like I advocate for the internet professionally, but also as a person that uses the internet, like this is very near and dear to my heart. It really cannot be overstated how important that point is. And, And really why we try, I think the work that CMJ does tries to center like the humanness of the internet, right? A lot of people think of net neutrality as like, a battle between companies. And we really try to say, actually, there's more at stake here. There is human connection, our ability to tell our own narratives, our ability to connect with one another, who we want to connect with, our abilities to surpass borders and to connect with people over physical borders and barriers.
0: As we talked about, we don't currently have a system that will like permanently protect net neutrality. What can we do to ensure that this fight doesn't keep happening? Is there like some legislation in Congress?
1: Yeah, so I get very, very nervous in this political climate to talk about legislation. In a perfect world, there would be legislation that codifies the 2015 open internet rules into law, right? As like the floor. But what we're finding is ISPs are creating this crisis they're creating this what they call this ping pong back and forth so we have open internet we have net neutrality now we don't have net neutrality we have net neutrality now we don't have net neutrality right in order to create this chaos that then pushes congress to try and legislate right but we know that in this congress any law that is written is going to be much like this recent tax law is going to be written by lobbyists, by ISP lobbyists are going to be in the room and have some say in the way that it's written, right? And so what we need to do in this space is to push back against all bad legislation because there is nothing worse than moving to legislate net neutrality, quote unquote net, net neutrality, and having somewhere in the law allow for pay prioritization. The fight becomes 10 times harder once it's a law, and so what we're asking people to do is to say to Chairman Pai, "Hey, actually, you should just do your job." Like the 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 law that we have at the FCC, the regulations that we have are actually working. ISPs have told their shareholders that it doesn't affect investment, even though they'll say that it does in press releases. That's what I'm saying in terms of like spaces where they can't lie. So they've said that it does; it's not affecting their investments, which is often a, a, something that's thrown at advocates like, "Oh, what you know." ISPs aren't able to invest. We have to roll back all digital civil rights in order for them to be able to invest and build out their networks and whatnot. But we know that's not true.
0: We've talked about the many ways this intersects with other parts of our political world. How do you think we can launch a really comprehensive strategy that protects net neutrality and addresses the other issues we've been bringing up?
1: politics are really won at the local level. While we're having this larger, broader fight, I think it's important for people to be organizing in their communities and demanding a number of things. So a lot of ISPs have a stranglehold on local broadband networks, right? And are able to block independent companies that want to provide broadband in a different way or in a cheaper way that has a higher level of service. And so it's really important For people who care about this issue to be talking with their local, and I mean like city councils, I'm here in DC, we have ANCs or advisory neighborhood commissioners. To really be talking at the local level about what an internet that is truly accessible and affordable can look like. And if that means, you know, local city councils putting out laws or statements in support of net neutrality and really pushing at the state and local level for protections for communities, I think that's a win. I think that's positive. And I think that feeds into this larger, broader strategy of building power so that at the federal level, we can have something really airtight and solid that protects consumers and communities.
0: While the internet is still free and open, where can folks go online to get involved in this and learn more?
1: Yeah, so if you want to call your federal uh, representative, you can go to Battle for the Net www.battleforthenet.com and it connects you, gives you a script and really walks you through the process of holding your congressional member accountable. You can also go to centerformediajustice.com We have a number of fact sheets and toolkits for people to use when organizing in their local communities around these issues among other many other issues as well but definitely net neutrality. I think that you can also organize phone banks and actually plug in with organizations in your in your local community. So there's typically a you know, a local community organization that's really working on these issues. I know EFF or Electronic Frontier Foundation has members all over the country and they're doing work on issues like this. And so it's really important to be in community with other folks who are concerned about these issues and really plug in and spend whatever time you might have, whatever extra time you might have supporting local organizing work around these issues.
0: And lastly, where can folks find you online
1: oh me personally um you can follow me on twitter my twitter is oh goodness aaron verbatim so Erin spelled e-r-i-n verbatim v-e-r-b-a-t-i-n i tweet about many things uh, mostly net neutrality these days honestly i was like telling all of my friends who follow me like go ahead and mute me because all i'm going to be tweeting about is net neutrality for the next you know couple of weeks um but also issues of you know black power organizing in dc really working on issues to help society get better overall.
0: Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming on today and doing all the work you're doing regarding this.
1: Absolutely. Anytime. I'm, I'm so happy to be talking about this and to getting getting young folks and millennials involved in issues like this.
0: Yeah, it's really great. Again, this is Aaron Shields, National Field Organizer for Internet Rights from the Center for Media Justice, and I'm Jordan Valerie, Editor-in-Chief of Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co. And stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.